Welcome new and old friends. My name is 242, and today 42 got us two more Christmas horror stories. Not all naughty children get coal in their stockings. Sometimes it's much worse. Some get visited by a creature named Krampus. Our first story is what happens to the children that get taken away, and what horrors they see. Our second story is about being visited by him, but not being taken, and what scars and fears that leaves behind. If you're on YouTube, please remember to like, subscribe, share, and comment. And if you're on the podcast, please remember to follow and leave a review if you can. Now, with all that being said... Turn off your lights, make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Kenneth0505 The Christmas season is the most wonderful time of the year. All the candy, presents, the decorations, and Santa Claus. The jolly old elf that brings gifts to all the good boys and girls of the world with his big belly and red suit. I used to love this time of year, but you'll soon hear why that changed. I was 11 years old and it was the first day of December. I laid in bed as my mother scolded me about something I had done that day. And she ended it with the cliche, You're going to get coal and switches for Christmas this year. As I drifted off to sleep, I thought to myself, if she thought I was bad today, she has another thing coming. I was awakened in the middle of the night by the sounds of heavy breathing, so as most children would do, I hid under my covers then. I heard a raspy voice say, Hello, naughty boy. I've come to take you far away. There's nothing you can do or say. There is no need to scream and no need to fight back. One way or another, you're going with me tonight. I ripped away the covers and stood, a monster of a creature with twisted giant black horns and draping with an old, gruesome, crimson coat. His face looked of old leather with hollow eyes and a long, crooked teeth. Next thing I know, I was shoving me into the basket with other children, and then everything went black. When I came to, I was freezing cold with others around me sobbing. We were all in a makeshift cage. There must have been 30 other kids besides me. Everyone was confused and scared. Then the creature came into the room, unlocking the cell and snatching one of the other children, and as he did, he snarled. The bad for the good. It's all about sacrifice, you see. Your sins are delicious, and you will all feed me. And just like that, he sank his teeth into his victim, and he wailed in pain. The creature left with him. Throughout the days, the monster would send these little creatures in for the next victim. You could see the sorrow in their eyes as they carried out his work. From time to time, the monster would come in to handpick his next meal, And every time he did, he was a little fatter, and his hair began to grow. It was almost as if we were witnesses to the dead coming back to life. It started out with one child every couple of days, then one a day, and now he would take two or three at a time. We made our plan and tried to escape, but to no avail. 
and the days drug on and on, and I was the last child left in the cage, and I knew that today would be the day the creature would eat me. It had been a while since he had come to collect his meal, and I could only imagine what he looked like now. Visions of the monster with his grotesque skin spun around in my head. Then I heard the now familiar sound of the lock opening, and I saw him walk in. I knew my time had come, and I'd be the next meal for the monster. As he approached me, I noticed something was different. His beard was full, and his cheeks were merry. The coat that once was way too big fit him perfectly. He was fat and happy. He looked like a jolly old man, not a threat at all. But then he spoke. It's Christmas Eve, child. There's no need to be frightened. I cried out in anger. What kind of monster are you? Santa Claus, he chuckled. He saw the look of confusion on my face, and he laughed his deep, guttural laugh and began to speak. It's all about sacrifice. It's simple to see. I take bad and reward the good, and it pleases me. I'm Krampus to the bad, but Santa to the good. This part of my lifespan is misunderstood. It made sense to me now. I had always wondered how a man living in the North Pole stayed so full and healthy with no vegetation or any other source of food. He smiled at my realization and said, December is my month, my time to thrive, and I bet you are wondering why you're still alive. I nodded as he bent down and removed his hat. The horn shone bright. Every year I do this. Every year it's the same. Every year I release one, so the world will remember my name. I looked at him puzzled, and he picked up all my confusion and continued. The reason I live, the reason I survive, is that all the children believe I am alive. All the other old gods like me have gone out of existence and ceased to be. The world has forgotten who they are, but not old Santa Claus, not so far. You will tell your story, you will tell your tale. Though many won't believe, some of them will. I passed out and woke up on my front porch. I beat and beat it on my door with all my might. My parents came down and we were united again. I told them what happened, but just like Santa said, Though many won't believe you, some of them will. And the only part they seemed to believe was that I was with Santa. They forgot about how he looked like a monster or eating children. So the spirit of Christmas lives on. The only reason I'm talking about this after all these years is because my neighbor's little boy was taken last night from his bed. That little fellow has been a holy terror all year. He didn't heed my warnings, no matter how sincere they were. I did all I could for him, but boys will be boys and he will answer for it, I'm afraid. I'll leave you with this. He knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. His mouth waters when you've been bad, so be good for God's sakes. Because he is coming to town. When I arrived at the hospital after being alerted of my daughter's car accident, 
I was relieved to hear that they had every specialist on our case. I was also mortified to hear that they had every specialist on her case. Emmett Crumpus is a child, and I think he's coming back this year. By Emotional Meeting 350 When I was young, my family would always gather together at the Ancestral Manor home for Christmas. My family is, and always has been, part of the upper crust of society, as a few of my more, let's say, spoiled aunts would like to say. Where was I? Oh, Christmas. We would gather together and spend the last two weeks of the year together, celebrating Christmas and New Year's before we go our separate ways and I would not see a majority of them again until Thanksgiving. Unless some great emergency pulled all of us together, the last one of those was the death of my great-grandmother. The tradition was older than I was, and I always looked forward to Christmas when I was a kid. The manor was always so breathtakingly beautiful at Christmas, decorated from one end to the other. The smell of cookies and cakes seemed to always waft throughout the house. The clinking of dishes and boisterous laughter came from the kitchen while Christmas dinner was being cooked. The snow sparkled inches and feet deep in spots just begging to be played in, woods to explore and play in. My cousins and I would often slide down the manor's long hallways in our socks falling, slipping, and laughing all the way. That usually would end up with one of us either crashing into something or getting hurt, or breaking something and getting scolded by an adult for at least 15 minutes. I think the worst that ever happened was one of us broke an arm and he had to go to the hospital and he spent Christmas in a cast. Those memories were so precious, and while I treasure them deeply, I cannot say I miss the manor, not now, now that I know the truth. The tale I'm about to weave may sound like pure fiction to any who hears or reads this, but believe on nothing else but this. It is the truth. Keep yourself in your cocoon of false safety, if it pleases you. Keep your ignorance, but this is the truth. Two decades of growth, the pain of puberty, and a king's ransom spent on therapy, hypnosis, shamans, and every spiritual remedy on the planet. And not one of them has brought me any semblance of peace. My tale begins on a snowy December eve, four days from the most magical of nights. That year, my best friend Caroline and her mother had come along with my family for Christmas. The day had been filled with joy and laughter. We played in the hills of snow all day and long into the evening. We mean Caroline and I, along with my horde of cousins and some kids we found in the street, my brother, playing in the woods boring the back end of the property. We played games of the wood, not mind the danger of being in the forest so near dusk. We played until my great-grandfather, who was born in Germany and only came to the States when he was four, he was pushing 91. But he was still, to quote my grandmother, spry as a barney rooster. He called us away from the woods, telling us it was getting too late and the woods were too thick and it was getting too dark to explore them today. 
Hearing our groans of disappointment and the general sounds of a group of young, curious children being denied an adventure, great-grandfather smiled, and with the patience of a saint, he reminded us we would be there for two solid weeks, and we would have plenty of time to explore when there was more light. He shooed us back onto the snow, where we continued to play under his watchful eyes. We were called in the house late into the evening. The sun was finishing its ascent below the skyline. The adults rushed all the children to separate bathrooms in the expansive manor home. When we were all washed, warmed up in a new pair of Christmas pajamas, another tradition. We were fed a dinner of chicken soup from scratch to chase away any remaining chills. Once we finished eating, we were quickly hurried into a large living area where hot chocolate and platefuls of Christmas cookies waited. We settled in for a round of Christmas movies. It was the adults' way of trying to get the kids to calm down and unwind before bed. I hardly paid attention to the movie. My attention was on Caroline. She was more reserved than usual, so I waited until everyone was absorbed in the movie to ask her what was wrong. I suspected it had to do with the fact that her parents were getting divorced. Carolyn had told me about it at school, her face wet with tears, crying about how it wasn't fair. I knew them telling her about it so close to Christmas didn't help. When I suggested she write to Santa to ask him if he'd make her parents happy again, she said four words I'll never forget. The four words that in hindsight, they changed everything. Santa Claus isn't real. After she made that statement, I called my best friend the entire world a liar. She shrugged and said her dad had told her after she handed her mother her letter to Santa. He said, Don't be a stupid girl. There's no Santa Claus. It's about time I told you the truth. You're too old to believe in all that childish nonsense anyway. They told me about how our parents buy gifts all year round and hide them. Then on Christmas morning, they'll give them to us and claim Santa bought them. I told her she was wrong and that her dad was probably highly intoxicated when he had said that and he hadn't meant it. Carolyn's dad had always drunk more than he probably should, but in those last few years, he had ramped it up. He'd come home to his loving wife and daughter completely trashed. Carolyn shook her head no, shoulders slumping even more, making her look smaller than she was. Our one-side conversation dissipated from there and grew into a heated shouting match. The adults pulled us apart when Carolyn lunged at me. The adults pulled us apart when Carolyn lunged at me. They separated us to keep further blows from being traded. Carolyn screamed at me that I wasn't her friend anymore, that real friends trusted each other. She screamed out her voice, becoming shrilled and more uncontrolled with each syllable she spat. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you and your stupid, perfect family. But most of all, I hate Christmas. I gasped, hurt. Carolyn knew how much Christmas meant to me. It was the only time of year, besides Thanksgiving, that I got to see my whole family. And she knew this year was hard on me. She knew I was going to be missing my great-grandma, my nana. This was the first Christmas without her here. I remember laying in my uncle's arms near tears. He deposited me in my great-grandfather's lap. Papa let me bury my head in his cashmere sweater. 
He rubbed my back while he murmured words of comfort in German. My mother had discovered I was more comforted by German when I was just a baby. Papa could settle me by just talking to me whenever I was stressed or hurt or panicking. I was quickly handed off to Papa, and he was in charge of soothing me before any anxiety swallowed me. Papa's voice was just as strong as it had always been, and it quickly relaxed me. But there was a hint, an edge to his voice that was highly unusual. I remember looking up into his aged face. Concern was etched across where his almost permanent smile should have been. And I swore I saw a flash of terror in his weather cerulean eyes. A family trait. Everyone in the family had blue eyes. Shades and tones changed, but always blue. What's wrong, Grandfather? I asked him my still-developing German, but whatever I saw fled as quickly as I had seen it. He patted my head, smiled brightly. He replied in German. You're improving quickly, and nothing's wrong, child. Great-grandfather looked over to where Carolyn's mother was comforting her, and his eyes were very distant. When he spoke again, his voice was barely a whisper. His voice came from a place very far away. Nothing at all. That night, Carol and I stayed in the same room, as my very extensive family and two guests filled all the rest. We slept in separate queen's beds. Usually, when we had sleepovers in the past, we would chatter quietly as we laid in bed waiting to fall asleep. However, wanting to avoid any awkwardness, I placed my headphones over my ears. Soft, classical Christmas music played while I read my book, studiously ignoring Caroline. I usually read until it was time for bed. And, right on cue, I pulled my headphones off, marked my place in my book, and flipped the light off. Carolyn flipped over in bed, where her back was facing me, without even a good night. I rolled my eyes and flipped over to face the window, staring out at the pitch black. Soon after Carolyn and I had our spat, the wind picked up considerably, and a massive blizzard began to rage outside the manor. My cousins were excited about the new snowfall and the prospects of exploring the woods tomorrow. The matter's old walls creaked and groaned against the onslaught of the wind and snow. The sound may have scared anyone else, but not me. The walls and roof of the old manor had held for long before my birth, and somehow I knew they weren't ready to give up the ghost just yet. Feeling secure, safe, and warm, I drifted off to sleep. I don't remember why I woke or what woke me, but I barely opened my eyes and saw complete black. I sat up and rubbed my eyes, clearing them of sleep. I looked to my left out the window, seeing if the blizzard had subsided yet. Nope. It wasn't just dark outside. It was as if I was looking straight into the depths of oblivion itself. I looked around the room, and the only source of light were two strands of fairy lights draped around Caroline and I's headboard. My eyes soon adjusted to the lack of light. Looking to my right, I saw Caroline was still asleep, so she hadn't woken me, and the storm didn't bother me anymore. I quickly noticed something else. It was bitterly cold in the room. No, not just cold. It was bone-shattering cold. So cold I could see my breath in front of my face. I shivered and pulled my blankets tight around me. Why was it so cold? Had the heater gone off? 
I burrowed further under the cover, searching for warmth. I curled in on myself, wrapping myself in a cocoon, did everything to get warm. Finally, I found some relief, and I began to fall back asleep. I heard the wind increase in severity. I shivered. A sound caught my attention. It was quiet. Just above the wind, barely decipherable, almost lost in the roar of the wind, it was a quiet sound of... bells? It sounded like hundreds of bells, all twinkling together in harmony. In my half-awake state, I briefly thought of Santa. But Santa was not coming that year. I sat up in bed again. I was shivering again. I couldn't sleep. It was too cold. I wrapped myself in my blankets and hopped out of bed. The floor felt like a block of frigid ice. I shivered again, and I made my way to the door to go to my parents' room. I wanted to get warm. I gripped the doorknob, which was so cold it almost burned. Just before I opened the door, I heard a sound up on the roof. I raised my eyes to the ceiling and raised an eyebrow. What was that? Did a tree limb fall on the roof? There it was again, and sounded like footsteps. Someone was on the roof. My breath grew heavier and quicker, my heart being against my ribs, and blood rushed in my ears. Danger, my mind whispered. Every survival instinct inside of me screamed all at once, run, run, escape. Now, more than ever, I wanted to be with my parents. I was 11 years old, and I was terrified. Despite all of that, though, escape to my parents' room wasn't just for the safety of mommy and daddy. That's where dad kept his guns. One thing kept me from bolting from the room. I heard them again. The bells. Only they were louder this time, as if they were coming from inside the room. I turned around, meaning to go wake Caroline and see if she could hear these things, too. Only I froze when I turned, my whole body locked up. I was so still I don't think I even breathed, and for once in my life my mind stopped working. All the human instincts I had screamed at me about how wrong this was, about how wrong everything I seen was. I was always a bright child, put in advanced classes, moved up grades, music lessons, reading books that should have been far beyond my comprehensive levels. I was more rational and more reasonable and more sensible than many children my age. I often think about how it must have amused my parents to no end that even at 11 years of age, the age when many children began to question things such as Santa Claus, and as bright as I was, I still had such a steadfast belief in Santa. Now though, all the science and facts in the world can help me. All the reason and rational thought, all of it vanished as I stared unblinking at what was in front of me. It was what I can only describe as a monster. It was enormous, I could tell, even though it was hunched. I could tell it neared or more likely surpassed seven feet in height. The twisted, spiraled, ram-like horns it wore gave an extra foot to foot and a half. So it was closer to eight and a half feet. The fur that covered the entirety of its body was black as a moonless night. It was coarse, thick fur like a boar. It stretched across its hulking, massive frame. It stood on two strong legs that end in cloven hooves. 
that were deadly sharp points at the ends. A filthy, ragged cloak covered its broad shoulders. Underneath it, a long, heavy tail dragged along the floor behind it. A hood hit its head, but I could see its profile. I could see an elongated muzzle like a dog. It stretched into a sick smile. A smile that promised bloodshed and sickly evil deeds done over an eternity. With its smile, I could see every single one of its razor-sharp teeth that led into two impossibly long, impossibly sharp canines. They were made to rip and tear and shred. They were so long, I don't think it closed its mouth entirely. A long, slimy, forked tongue slithered and hung out of its mouth. Spittle ran down globs and dripped down onto a dingy, tangled beard. Its eyes were yellow and its irises red, the color and shade of blood. Wrapped around its body and clasped at its wrists were thick chains. Every ragged breath the monster took caused them to tinkle, like bells. Oh, oh God, the bells. The ones I heard earlier, they weren't from Santa. They were a warning. They were a warning that this thing was coming. The sound was methodical, beautiful, just proposed to what it heralded. Much like a battle horn, they were the herald of death. The realization slapped me hard, along with the epiphany that I could die. So many thoughts raced through my mind at warp speed. I never get to apologize to Brittany for accidentally implying she was fat. I never see my dogs again. I miss Christmas with my family. My family. The thought of my family caused panic that had been bubbling in my gut to spread to my chest cavity, where it pressed on my lungs, making it nearly impossible to breathe. I was on the verge of a meltdown that would make Chernobyl seem tame. My family, if this thing got out and it went after my family, what would it do? Why was it here? What did it want? Why? My attention was drawn back to the beast when it shifted, chains tinkling like Christmas bells. Terror shut my mind and body down once more as the creature's hands were now visible. I could see what it was doing. It loomed over Caroline's bed, holding her neck in a vice grip. The skin of its hands resembled the skin of a buzzard's head after it had been exposed to much rotting flesh. Bare, black skin sagged and wrinkled. It twisted, gnarled fingers ended in sharp, serrated nails. My knees gave out and I fell to the floor, causing a soft thud. The creature turned in my direction and cocked its head to the side like a dog studying a curiosity. Whimpering, I scooted back till my back hit the door, trying to put some distance between myself and this thing. It slowly made its way towards me, studying me. I pressed myself harder against the door, hoping if I pressed myself hard enough, I would fuse with the wood. I saw my friend's face, screwed into a silent scream of terror. Her eyes were bugged out and her skin was ashen gray. As the beast drew closer, the temperature in the room plummeted. I felt myself gain frostbite, my teeth chattering. I screwed my eyes closed and I prayed to any god that would listen. Please, please let it be a dream. Please go away, please. 
I covered my eyes with my hands and curled up in the fetal position as the beast came closer. I heard it growl, I peeked through my fingers, and it held out Caroline to me as if offering me her corpse. It held her in one hand, with the other it drove a massive meat hook into her body. It took the chain and wrapped it around her, once, twice, three times, before it used it to strap her lifeless body to its back, like she was a human accessory, a sick version of a backpack. It leaned down, a heavy breath of disgusting hot breath on my face. It smelled like rancid mixture of rotting meat, feces, and vomit, and gave a wave with its hand, still smiling that sick, grotesque smile. In an amazing burst of agility, it hurled itself up onto the thin windowsill, where it balanced for a quick moment before bounding out into the darkness. When it was gone, my body began to unlock, beginning with my mind. Why? Why didn't it kill me too? Why did it leave me alive? I can identify. I came to a hard realization. It wanted me alive. It came here specifically for Caroline. It wanted her for some reason. Caroline. Oh God, my mind began to try to process what happened and what turned out to be 15 minutes, but to me, it felt like an eternity. The cold was retreating, leaving the room feeling warmer and my limbs began to come back to life. With the retreating of the cold came the break in my mind. Processing all that had happened proved to be too much for my small young mind to handle. So my mind fractured and I began to scream. My family burst into the room. My mother picked me up off the floor and held me close as I continued to scream. She began to ask why I was so cold and tried her best to comfort me. My father held both of us. He tried as well to comfort me, but failed to do so. I kept screaming. My family demanded to know what was wrong. Caroline's mother screaming, demanding to know where her daughter was. I pointed to the open window, still screaming. The first rays of dawn illuminating the sky, creating a masterpiece of colors dancing across the sky. In the lighting, you can see on the windowsill two perfect hoofprints sat in the snow gathered on the sill. My great-grandfather ran to the window and began to yell out curses in German. He slammed the window closed and turned to face his family. He marched across the room and took me from my parents. He began to quiet me. Slowly, I fell into a catatomic state. My family gathered around him, demanding to know just what had happened. He looked around the room. His gaze touched each one of his descendants, and he only said one word. Krampus. At the sound of its name, I began to scream again. There was an investigation and a manhunt. Search parties scoured the property for days trying to find a trace of Caroline. They found nothing. Not that I expected them to. They found Caroline's body abandoned. She had been left by a sewer grate. Discarded like a piece of fested waste, she was miles from the manor. She was nude, and this I only learned years later, but she was missing her eyes. No arrests were ever made. Not surprising. I was questioned by several officers, detectives, child psychologists, and everything in between. I never said a word. In fact, I didn't talk for almost three years after the incident. Even after I began talking again, I never spoke about that night. 
not to anyone save for my therapist. Now I'm married with a son and daughter of my own. My family still comes together on the holidays, only never at the manor again. After Caroline's murder, we sold the manor and it was left to rot. I'm writing this as a warning. If you hear the bells, it's already too late. I think Krumpus has kept me around. Every so often I will hear the bells. Sometimes they're barely discernible. Others, they're deafening. Just a little reminder, he's always there, always watching. He's sporadic with his visits. It's like he's blown in by the wild winter winds. I've never heard the bells on Christmas again though, but I'm worried. This year is an important year. My son is 11 this year, the very age I was when I met Krampus. I'm worried this year my son's friend Gavin will be joining us for Christmas along with his father, who's my husband's best friend. Gavin is much like Caroline. His parents are divorcing. His mother is a severe alcoholic, and his outlook on Christmas is very pessimistic. I tried to refuse, but my husband went ahead and invited them without consulting me. By the time I was told, it was too late. So, here in my office, I sit on the week before Christmas, here in the dark, worrying. While my family sleeps safely tucked away for the night, I can vaguely hear the blizzard raging outside. It's gaining strength every hour. The wind roars, blowing the snow against the house. My husband comes to me before he heads to bed. I kiss him goodnight. Knowing it would bring up unanswerable questions, I hid how angry I am at him. I sit here in my office, a shotgun loaded and sitting in my lap. As I stare up the ceiling, I'm listening intensely. Dreading to hear anything other than the wind, the grandfather clock chimes midnight, the electricity goes off, and there they are, barely discernible above the wind. I can hear the faintest sound of bells. My parents refused to believe me when I said a tall man in a black hat was responsible for my brother going missing in the oat fields. That's why I haven't told them that the man in the black hat has come back every night since to stare at me through my bedroom window. And with that, our time together was coming to an end. As always, I like to thank the writers who let me read their stories today. I also want to apologize if I said Krampus instead of Krampus in any way, or if I'm still mispronouncing it. I do my best, but of course it's not an English word, and English is the only language I really know. That first story, where Krampus becomes Santa Claus, is a really interesting idea, and I kinda did really like it and would love to explore that more. The thought that he must eat the naughty kids as sacrifice so he's able to give the gifts to the good children is quite an interesting thought and I really did enjoy it. And the second story where Krampus goes after children that are not happy, that are hating Christmas but not in a good spot themselves and made for an interesting read and thought for me. I really want to look more into the mythology of Krampus to get an understanding of maybe why she was naked and her eyes were in. That might have also just been added for the story. But of course, I could just be overthinking these stories, and I honestly do that quite a bit. 
I normally take a day or two to fully process everything I read and come up with different theories on why things were done the way they were, or where the story would go from there as well, especially on the fictional. These are just my thoughts on these things. I really did not grow up with Krampus being a thing. We just had Santa Claus, and if you were naughty, you got coal in your stocking. So I guess it just intrigues me more because it's something new to me, and I would just love to dig in and find out more. And I've also found out there's more than just one anti-Santa as well. If you're new, I hope you'll follow this podcast. And if you're able to, leave me a review on said platform that you listen And if you know anyone else who might enjoy this content, please share this podcast with them. It really helps quite a bit. If you'd like to help in a more financial way, I do have Patreon where for a dollar a month you get early access to the audio. If you'd like to do a one-time donation, I do have PayPal and Buy Me a Coffee as well. All the links are in the show notes, including the ones to my socials and my websites. I highly recommend if you'd like to keep more up to date with some of the stuff I'm doing. And I just want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. I hope these stories brought a little horror to the cheer that's going on this time of year. And maybe you made that snow outside seem more appealing than what's inside waiting for you. But as always, guys, thank you for just listening. It always has and always will mean the world to me. Sleep tight and don't let 42 bite.